If you are someone who maybe uh, would call yourself a Christian, you've been following Jesus for a while, or maybe you're just uh, around Christians, uh, so maybe you're a little more familiar with uh, Christians may say or, or allude to. Uh, one of the quotes that I often hear, and you see it all over the internet sometimes, especially from Christians, people who follow Jesus, is a quote that's attributed to Francis of Assisi. And the quote says this, it says, preach the gospel at all times, use words when necessary. Maybe you've heard that quote before. Maybe you love that quote. And it's got an amazing sentiment behind it. The sentiment that through our actions, it should be reflecting what we believe. Absolutely. I think that's a core teaching of Christianity. That your life should reflect what you believe. That it should be something that demonstrates to other people that you're a follower of Jesus. But I have to tell you, I hate that quote. I really hate that quote. For a few reasons. First one is Francis of Assisi never said it. The closest thing that Francis of Assisi did say that sounds similar is he wrote a rule book for Franciscan monks that if they were to go to another congregation, so like if I were to go, I'm not a Franciscan monk, but if I were to go to another church that I should only preach if I am asked to preach. And that they should let their life be a reflection of their beliefs. So it was a specific teaching that Francis did to a group of people who would be people who teach in a church that said, don't just show up on a Sunday and start preaching at people. But instead, while you're there, let your life demonstrate the gospel. So that's what Francis actually said. He didn't say, preach always, use words when necessary. In fact, if you read some of Francis's writings, he would actually say you should use words a whole lot because words matter. As you probably know yourself, that when you hear something, it can cause you to think about something. And when you think about something, it can change your own thoughts and your thoughts shift and become your behaviors. So what you think becomes how you behave and what you believe. But I also find this a frustrating quote because it creates this false dichotomy that there's like a difference between those who demonstrate the gospel through their actions and those who use their words to talk about Jesus. And that's a false dichotomy that does not exist in the Bible. It's a very unbiblical idea. In fact, over and over again, what's demonstrated in the Bible is that, yes, your actions should reflect your beliefs, but you should also speak what you believe. So the question becomes, well, if we are to preach the gospel, what is the gospel that we preach? What would Francis have said it was? What would have people through church history said the gospel is? And maybe for those of us who are less familiar with Christianity, or maybe those of us who are more familiar, we have different ideas on that. And it's a large topic. And the idea of being Jesus-centered, as we've been talking about for the last, I guess, seven weeks now, is to be individuals, people who are gospel-centered, people who are focused their lives around Jesus, to be led more by Jesus, to live and lead like Jesus, and also to lead people to Jesus. But we need to know what we're leading to. And so we're talking about that today. So what is the gospel? That's a big question. The shortest form version of it, I'm going to give you a quote from the Apostle Paul. 
The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 said, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So there's something very significant that he's doing right here. He's saying, I used words to tell you this. And your belief comes from hearing these words. So again, this kind of goes against that quote that Francis never actually said, but we still really like. He says, For I learned, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the Twelve, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. For Paul, he says the gospel is this, that Christ died for your sins. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, if you're familiar with the Apostle Paul, he's going to expand on that in other letters. But as he's writing to this church in Corinth, this church that's really got some messed up ideas about what it means to live out following Jesus— He says, I want to remind you what I told you. And what I told you is this. It's passed on through Scripture that Christ died for your sins. And then he rose again. And we know and can trust that he rose again because then he appeared to people, many of whom are still alive. So he's writing to an audience in a church who knew people who saw Jesus after he rose again. He says, there's no denying it. We know it to be true. So for Paul, the gospel isn't fully, but is essentially that Jesus died for your sins. That you were someone who was disconnected from God because of sin, and because of Jesus' death and resurrection, you now have intimacy with the creator of the universe, if you want it. Now there's more that we can talk about, why that is such good news, but we're just going to take that as a short summary. Summation of the gospel. So let's think about that. Let's think about that quote from Francis, not really from Francis. Preach the gospel always. Use words when necessary. How do you demonstrate without words that Jesus died and rose again and you're forgiven? Maybe you have a way. Maybe it's just the consistency of your life, which is important. And I'm not speaking against living a life that reflects your belief. But we also shouldn't neglect using our words to share it. And like I said, it's a false dichotomy. It's not something that Francis actually said. And it's actually not the words of Scripture. We need to keep that in mind too. And Scripture actually says something very different about sharing our beliefs. And what it says... I'll give you a few quotes. The first one's from Jesus himself, John chapter 5, verse 24. He says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Jesus says, Whoever hears my word crosses over from death to life. Later on in the end of Mark's gospel, he said, in what's considered the great commission that all the Gospels have in a different way. He says to them, go into all the world and preach or proclaim 
the gospel to all creation. That good news that Christ died and rose again for people. Proclaim it. Share it with all of creation. Absolutely, part of it is how we live. We demonstrate what we believe. But a key context that's used in Scripture in these words, if we accredit them to Jesus, is Jesus says, use your words. We tell that to kids all the time, right? Don't, don't hit each other, use your words. Don't just live your gospel, speak your gospel. It's an important reality. So Jesus himself would say that the good news is something that needs to be shared. It's something that needs to be communicated. He demonstrated that, obviously, through his life, that he is the one who died and rose again for us, for the forgiveness of our sins, but also so that we could have life in all of its fullness. And we show that both in how we behave, but also in how we speak and what we speak. Paul would say something again that's really important at the end in the book of Romans. So as he's writing to this church in Rome, uh, who he doesn't know, and he's trying to help them understand what does it look like to live a life of faith? What does it look like to be people who follow Jesus in their everyday life? He wrote this in Romans 10, 17. He says, consequently, Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So faith comes from hearing, and we hear the word about Christ. And in fact, he's going to say that even in our own experience, just before this, in verses 9 and 10, he says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For as you with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Words matter. The biblical story is not to preach Christ always and use words when necessary. It's to preach Christ or the gospel always and make sure your words are consistent with your actions. Words matter. The story of Jesus is passed on through words. The story of your life is passed on through words. Yes, there's observation, but people tell the story. And scripture is the telling of that story. So if we want to be Jesus-centered, as we've been trying to talk about over these last few weeks, about what does it look like to have our life centered around Jesus as the main authority and priority in our life, if we want to be people who are Jesus-centered, Jesus-centered people are pointing others to him. To be Jesus-centered is to recognize that Jesus, yes, died and rose again for your sins, for your forgiveness, but also everybody's. And you need to share that. And how do you share it? Well, if you just do it through your actions, and this is not, again, to say don't act a certain way, But if it's just through your actions, you might miss an opportunity to really invite someone by using your words to show them the grace of God. Think about the people you know. Maybe it's people in this church. Maybe you don't know anyone in this church. You're just getting to know people. Chances are they're really nice people. They do nice things. Maybe they volunteer on Fridays and Saturdays with our food rescue stuff. Maybe they're downstairs with the kids and Sunday morning. Uh, maybe they're doing stuff on the soundboard or in the band. They're nice people, nice things. You could assume that 
because they're in a church, they probably have some sort of belief system. And that belief system should be around Jesus. But now think about people who you don't see in church. Chances are you know some really nice people. And maybe people who volunteer their time and money and do a lot of really great things and might even be nicer, it's hard to say, hard to believe, than some of the church people you know. Not here, though, not our church people. Right? And they don't believe. In fact, they believe something very different. So, your act, so you view their actions. You might be curious. Why, why are you so nice? Why are you so wonderful? Oh, it's because I believe that life is all you have and there's nothing after this, so that's why I'm nice and I enjoy it. Well, that's different than the Christian message. Right? Just your actions do not preach Christ. They say who you are. They might demonstrate some of your beliefs, but your words need to match. There's a consistency of it that needs to be there. In fact, it's the teaching of Scripture, as I pointed out, the words of Jesus himself, words of the Apostle Paul. We speak the gospel through our words, and it matters, not just our actions. One of the reasons why I think so many of us love that fake quote by Francis is because we feel very intimidated of sharing our beliefs with other people. And it might be that you're very sincere about your beliefs. It's not to say that you're not sincere. But it might be that you feel intimidated because you feel like you can't answer people's questions. You feel intimidated because they might say something or maybe they notice that your actions didn't really match up to your words. And so you feel like, oh, they're going to call me a hypocrite, which, let's be honest, we all are to some degree. And you're like, well, okay, maybe I just won't say anything. Sometimes we prevent ourselves from using our words because we're fearful of what the outcome might be. More often than not, like when my own experience, which is limited, I see individuals, including myself at times, who don't share, don't use their words because they don't know what will come out of the other person's mouth. They don't know what they'll say or what they will maybe challenge them on or ask a question about. And sometimes we get this idea that we need to be able to answer everybody's question about everything. But that's also false. In fact, that's unscriptural. And so if we are people, and I know we aren't all those people, but if we are people who say we follow the Bible, we do have to have answers, but not answers to everybody's little question. Peter wrote, in his letter to the church in Rome, in First Peter, what we need to be able to answer. He wrote this. He says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Peter writes to a group of followers of Jesus into a context that is very anti-Jesus. They are living in a society that does not like God. And so these Christians are living and trying to demonstrate through their life and through their words that they are following Jesus. And Peter says to them in encouragement, 
be ready to give an answer for everybody who asks a question about the hope you have, why you hope. What often we do, and I've seen done in churches, and I've had people say to me, is we go, be ready to answer any question people have. Like, why do some people believe the earth was created in seven days, and some people believe in billions of years? Well, that's not the question you need to be able to answer. It's good to research it. It's good to figure out what you believe on it. But the question you need to be able to answer is, why do you believe in Jesus in the first place? Why do you have hope that Jesus died and rose again for your, the forgiveness of your sins and so you can have life in all of its fullness? Can you answer that question? That's the only question you have to be able to answer. So Peter's instruction and his instruction to us as well as them is be ready to answer for the hope you have. Use your words to demonstrate, to speak the hope you have. How can you always be prepared to give an answer? That's the big question. How can you always be ready for if someone is to ask you? Well, first, it involves, obviously, that you are living a life that reflects that. So people do see, demonstrated through actions, that you are someone who is kind and gentle and good. But you're also using your words to demonstrate your belief in some capacity. So how can you always be prepared if you are asked the question? I want to give you some suggestions. The first one is prayer. Pray continuously. Not just pray when someone's asking you a question, which is really convenient, but always be in prayer. Always be connecting to God. You know, in Peter's statement, he says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Part of revering Christ as Lord is your belief, but it's also your, your position with Christ in your understanding. So you keep that relationship going through prayer. Be praying to God often, always if possible. Make sure that that is a central part of who you are, developing that intimacy with the creator of the universe who calls you his child. Also pray, you need to remind yourself. Remind yourself of the hope you have. One of the things that comes up continuously through the Old Testament is God always tells his people to remember how God had rescued them. That's always their their clinch point when they start to deviate. He goes, remember what I did. Remind yourself of why you have this hope. Maybe you forgot. Maybe you've been going to church for so long. Maybe your beliefs have been for so long. Maybe you grew up in the church, so you're like, yeah, it's just what I believe. Well, what made it real? Remind yourself. When did you come to know the truth that Jesus died and rose again for you and for everybody? And he came to give you life in all of its fullness. When do you realize that? Remind yourself of your own story. If you're to be prepared to give a reason for your hope, you need to remember your reason for hope. Remind yourself. But also be consistent. I think one of the most important things in life is consistency. And sometimes I'm good at it, sometimes I'm not. So I'm quite inconsistent with my consistency. But be consistent in your beliefs. Be consistent that your beliefs do influence your actions that you are someone who represents Jesus well 
and be consistent in your words. That your words speak the truth of Jesus as well. Not just when you're speaking about Jesus, but when you're speaking in general. To be someone whose words are kind and gentle and good. It's going to happen that probably there'll be moments, especially if you have children or around children, where your words maybe are a little inconsistent to that love of Jesus. Also seek forgiveness consistently. That's a good thing. Sometimes we need to admit it, that yeah, we do make mistakes. But be consistent. Also be consistent with Scripture. Make sure you're spending time in the words about God and the words of God. If we want to know what we believe, we need to be going right to the source, and that's Scripture. And finally, be willing. If you desire to share about faith, about what you believe, why you have hope, be willing to do it. It's not always easy to be willing. Some of us will say, yes, that's a good idea, but I'm not too sure it's for me. The invitation from God is to be willing to follow him. And in our willingness to follow him, sometimes we put ourselves in places where we have to speak the truth of the gospel. Speak why we have this hope. Be in prayer. Remind yourself of your hope. Be consistent in your words, your actions, and in Scripture. And be willing. Because the words of Scripture point us to the hope we have in Jesus. And if you are someone who has embraced that hope, my challenge for you is to ask, why wouldn't you want others to embrace it? What if you willingly ignore the invitation to use your words and because of it, somebody misses out on that hope? God does what God does, and I trust the Holy Spirit, but he invites us to be people who speak his reality into this reality. We need to use our words as well as our actions to demonstrate the truth of who God is and why it matters to follow Jesus. I know that's not something that is going to be comfortable for all of us. I know it's something that might be hard. And I want to encourage you to think and pray through how you can do that in such a way that is consistent with who you are, how God has gifted you, and with what you believe. Now, if you're somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus, I'm not asking you to share about Jesus because that's not what you believe. But if you do, if you follow Jesus, we need to be willing to use our words to preach, to proclaim to express the hope we have and why we have it. One of the ways I want to help you to do that or to consider how you might be able to do that with someone, even when you feel like you don't have the words, is that when you walk out of here before you go to your pre-Pancake Tuesday Sunday, I have these little books. These little books are a collection of the Gospels. And they look nice. And basically what it is, is like a chronological order of all four Gospels kind of put together to tell the story of the hope we have. If you are someone who has a hope in Jesus, I would love for you to grab two. One for you, and one to give away. And maybe there's somebody you know in your life who could use the hope of Jesus. Invite them to read along with you. Say, I'm going to read this over the next seven weeks, which happens to be Lent. Would you read with me and hear the story of why I have hope? 
I want to challenge you to grab at least two of these. One for you, one to share. And read along and hear the story of Jesus and why you have hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have invited us to be people who have hope. That through Jesus, we know and can know with certainty that your death and your resurrection is the forgiveness of our sins and the invitation to life in his fullness. That it was witnessed by many, and as the authors of Scripture point out, many of those were alive when the Scriptures were written. We can know with certainty the truth that can, is in the hope that is you. I pray that if maybe we're exploring our own beliefs and don't know if we believe it, that we open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say, Holy Spirit, to reflect on why we do or don't have hope or what makes following Jesus different. And for those of us who maybe have been following for a while, I too pray, Holy Spirit, that our hearts are warm to you and we allow ourselves to maybe step out in faith and share the hope we have with someone who does not know it. Help us to be more and more like Jesus, Lord. More and more like you. It is a gift to know you and to be loved by you and to be told that we are God's masterpiece created for good works long ago. Remind us of that hope. Remind us of that truth. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.